Blog Talk Radio. turn off one of my songs and uh it's uh I'm you know what I'm going to do because it's just the kind of guy that I am I'm going to play my theme music again and we're going to start from scratch you ready All right let's do it All right here we go Let's go. 
guest with my special guest today, Gabriel Harbour. You might know him as the Dark Beard Rising. You might know him as General Beardivity. Um, you might know him as the DFS Trader, and we'll get into that a little bit. But first, we just want to get to know Gaby Harbour a little bit. Crazy, how you doing? Welcome to my show. Hey, what's going on, my man? Thank you very much for uh, letting me join you here today. And uh, introduction was great, but I have to, to throw something back your way as well. Uh, whenever I am on a, a podcast or a, a show for somebody with someone for the first time, I always uh, kind of take a, a little bit of a special interest in their their on-air radio voice because I, I feel like my on-air voice is probably the worst voice out there. So I'm always jealous, and I always kind of like size up the other person. And I have to say, you have a very nice on-air voice. I'm not sure if that's a strange compliment if you've ever got it or not, but uh, just throwing it out there. I actually have, and I'm hoping to parlay that into uh, a bit of a future in the industry, to be honest. So thank you very much for the compliment. You know, comp- uh, I always say compliments are easy, relationships are hard. So, um, you know, we're <laughs> off to a good start. Yeah, there we go. It's, uh, let's build this relationship. Yep. And so what I'm looking for today is uh, a good, a good thorough interview followed by kind of what I consider my theme, which is to make a live lineup that we will actually play and split the money on. And uh, we're hoping to hear this sound at the end of the night. And, (laughs) you know, that's, uh, that's kind of the thing that I'm always going for. But uh, most of the time, this is the noise that should follow me around. And the last thing is we always want to make sure that our lineups don't do this. So now you have exhausted my, my sound effects. But, you know, it was always my goal to kind of have so, a show that was a little bit different. So let's get... Let's get and one of the things that I've always found, Gaby, is everyone either wants to get into the picks, they want to get into, you know, maybe in your case the controversy, and and believe me, those things are interesting to me too. But what's really interesting to me is to get to know someone and kind of, if you don't mind the expression, go behind the beard in this case. So I was wondering if you could tell me a little bit about yourself and your life and. And how you got to this point. Absolutely. And let me just say, if you're going to go behind the beard, make sure you have a pair of gloves on first. That's just uh, that's doctor's orders right there. But I, I, w- I would say that that could be uh, very dangerous to your health, health uh, if you don't take that advice. So to all you kids out there, put on the white gloves because Gaby is about to he's, he's about to go full frontal. Yeah, handling beers, absolutely no joke. So uh, how far back do you want me to go? I mean, do you want, do you want well, crazy no, I mean, I, 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 I tend to, I mean, a little bit about where you grew up, um, <clears throat> where you were when you found out about DFS, and, and, and kind of just, you know, intro into the subject matter. Yeah, so I, I grew up in uh, central Ohio. I've lived in a, a few spots around Columbus, like satellite uh, suburban areas, but never really ventured outside of that much other than uh, you know a few trips on the weekends or whatnot. Still actually live about five minutes away from my parents, to be honest. Uh, so that, that uh, gives you kind of an idea. So I'm kind of a homebody. Not a, so not a big the rumor go out that you live in their basement is absolutely false. 
absolutely false. And uh, to kind of turn that um, you know, stereotype on its head, my dad, so my biological father, I grew up with my mom and my stepdad. Uh, my biological father actually lives in my basement now. So I've sort of turned awesome. life on its head a little bit. I, I, I love it. And that's awesome. And I've seen pictures of your very beautiful children. Um, I, I, I'm, a, I'm a lot older than you, but I started late in life. I have a nine-year-old daughter. And I think I saw you have two, correct? Yeah, I have a seven-year-old and a four-year-old. They actually have birthdays within 10 days of one another in February. So we just celebrated a couple of weeks ago. That's wonderful. So how did you get into DFS? I, I heard uh, I heard you one time talk about a point guard who you locked in every night that always made value. But why don't you tell us how you heard about it and how you w- made your way into DFS? Yeah, so, uh, you know, growing up, I was always into sports. I played basketball and baseball. Um, those were my, my two uh, favorites. And I never got into fantasy sports really until I, I turned 19 and I actually worked for a company called Penske Automotive. If um, you have ever rented a truck for uh, moving or, you know, vacation or anything like that, cause you had a lot of stuff to bring with you. I was possibly, if it was in central Ohio, one of the guys who was cleaning out the truck uh, when you brought it back and then getting it ready to go back out. And there was a guy awesome. in my office named Randall. He uh, asked me, you know, hey, you know a lot about sports. Uh, we need one more for our fantasy football league. And at that time, I'd heard of fantasy sports, no clue what it was. I asked him to explain, and I said, yes. Like, I, I love strategy games. I was a big RPG video game player. I, uh, I loved playing poker, and that sounded like something in my wheelhouse. So I was 19 then. I'm 29 now, and uh, played just season-long fantasy sports for about five years or so. And uh, do you want me to kind of go into the uh, slightly extended version of how I got into all this DFS madness? Um, I, you know, I would do the two minute version. Okay. Two minute version is good. All right. You, you got me on the clock here. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've been known to interrupt guests with bomb sounds. So, um, go ahead. Definitely. I no, I want to hear it. Go for it. Okay. So, uh, so yeah, I, uh, I started off actually just wanting to create my own blog and do like season long fantasy sports, waiver wire pickups. I did one post. Uh, I don't even remember the name of the blog, to be honest with you. And uh, Chet Gresham, uh, he used to own the Razzball sites. Now he owns the the fake sites, like fake basketball, fake football and whatnot. I believe he still owns them. Uh, he reached out to me and said, hey, um, I know I've seen you tweeting on uh, about Fandor or whatever, because it was still a relatively new thing at that point, And we need somebody to write Fandor fantasy football value picks each week. Uh, you seem like a pretty good writer. Would you like to do that for me? And I was like, wow, like one, one post of my own blog. And so I, I shut down my own blog. I started writing for him. And that actually led to an opportunity next season to uh, write draft day basketball picks for Daily Fantasy at thefakebasketball.com. He had started up those sites in that interim period. And Scott Mailwig, who uh, works for Draft Day now, actually, and is a very talented NBA Daily Fantasy player, he was uh, helping Chet run that site. So he and I worked together. And uh, I was talking to my wife one day and I said, honey, do you know what this industry needs? This industry needs a live show of some kind that goes close to win lineups lock and talks about all the late breaking news for the NBA, because all these tweets just can't be answered within the time frame that people are, are sending them to me. You know, they, they all come start flooding in around 530 Eastern time. They don't stop. And she said, OK, like if, if you think this is a good idea, I'll support you. And so I started doing five nights a week on um, used to be called blogtv.com. Now it's younow.com. I started doing a live show. Uh, we got up to about 60, 70 people. And at that point, um, actually partnered up with somebody who had been in the poker industry. We created dailyfantasyradio.com as partners. And I started doing an hour and a half live show there. We started getting over 100 people at that point. 
And uh, I like to kind of say that there's no concrete evidence of this, but Grinders Live started about three months after I started doing my live show at dailyfantasyradio.com. And, and then shortly after they started, uh, Dan Bach actually reached out to me. We talked. I did an interview for his podcast, and he asked me if I would come over to Rotor Grinders. And so I kind of shut down operations at uh, at dailyfantasyradio.com, started at Rotor Grinders, and that was kind of where I was at until I got to the point I'm at now. That's very interesting. You know, there's a lot of things there that I didn't know, which is, I guess, the whole point of talking. And (laughs) to me, an interview, you know, the best guy ever is Howard Stern, right? And what I always loved about his show is that it's just him talking, right? And you feel like you're there talking to people. And, you know, you mentioned what you feel was missing in Daily Fantasy. This is what I think is missing. I think you know, we've got personalities in the sense that a lot of people know who you are and you have a beard and, you know, and, and, that, and that is the thing. But, you know, I wonder how many people have ever heard you really sit down and talk like you would at a kitchen table. And that and that's what's <laughs> interesting to me. So, I, I mean, that's pretty amazing that your first, you know, thing. I mean, I, I'm like the guy no one ever discovers, right? I could be sitting here doing excellence for like <laughs> seven years and no one will ever find me, but that's okay. So um, so you started with Roto Grinders and how many years were you there? I, I, and I know that you did that late in the day show. Is that kind of a takeoff on the show you were doing on your own? Yeah. So I, I was at Roto Grinders for, I, I guess, what would amount to um, probably somewhere in between two and a half and three years uh, with a break in between. Uh, actually, a small aside, MGT, which is the company that purchased Fan Throwdown and then later purchased Draft Day before they shut down Fan Throwdown and then sold Draft Day to the current group that owns it. Um, during that period, they had actually hired me away from Rotor Grinders to come and create a content portal for them. So uh, basically content for their Fan Throwdown site, their Draft Day site, and then the other daily fantasy uh, ventures that they had planned uh, that ended up not working out so well, just uh, didn't get the numbers that we wanted. And so I ended up going back to rotor grinders and that was kind of the small break I had in between. Uh, but as far as shows go, yeah, the four thirty and the afternoon happy hour. Uh, one of the coolest parts is that Dan did give me the freedom to make my show more about a kitchen table type experience. Uh, I always thought of it as two guys sitting in a bar, just shooting the breeze, talking about whatever came to their mind. Uh, with a you know a loose focus on moving the show along in terms of talking about daily fantasy sports and so uh, you know big big thanks to Dan for allowing me to develop as a broadcaster like that and uh, the the heavy hitting analysis stuff always happened when I would do the daily fantasy fix podcast I actually took two days um, off of Dan's plate I would do Tuesday and Thursday and he would do Monday Wednesday and Friday so um, that was kind of the contrast and the styles and uh, I had a lot of fun while I was there and. Uh, I'm definitely looking forward to future opportunities in broadcasting as well, in this industry yeah. and in other industries. Well, of course. I mean, it's it's fun, right, to get paid yeah. to do what you're naturally good at, which is expressing yourself, which you are good at. Um, one of the things that, that's kind of jumped out at me there, um, I don't know if you know, I mean, I'm really new to this. So if I say anything that isn't, you know, like I, I listened to your show some, but I didn't know that you did kind of a coffee talk or a two guys having a beer concept. I wasn't alluding to anything. Um, oh, no, no, so no. We'll, I, uh, we'll chalk I, that. I don't even know what we'll I chalk, did half the time anyway, so. <laughs> we'll chalk that up. But again, you know, I, I, I'm never, I'm never upset when someone else 
has the same idea I did. I came up with an idea recently for some lineups and, you know, it doesn't seem like anyone's doing it. So it's probably a terrible idea, but you know, it's funny because I started doing the live show with the mauler making these lineups that are actual live lineups and about seven episodes into it. Grinders now does a lineup show. And I know the mauler was a little bit bent out of shape about it. And, and where I was more like, hmm, that's interesting. But the that truth is, is, you'll never. What's that? It's flattery. You know, the sincerest form of flattery, right there. Well, absolutely. And and you know, look, there's always going to be a part of you that wishes they said, man, this is a great idea. Why don't you come do it for us? But I, I don't know that that was why they did it. So you know, case uh, sera you move on. So. Uh, I won't say there's been any controversy as it relates to leaving rotor grinders, but, and, and again, my information, you know, I'm not the type to sandbag anyone, but I really don't know on Twitter. I've heard some people say you were fired. I've heard other people say you quit. What was the real deal that went on between you and rotor grinders? You know, rotor grinders and I had a great relationship over the time that, uh, that I was there. We certainly had a few philosophical differences, which I'm, I'm not uh, you know, afraid to talk about. One of those main ones was uh, I felt that a lot of the things that FanDuel and DraftKings did as companies, a lot of choices they made, especially when it came to uh, you know, being held accountable to the community, I, I did feel like in a lot of ways, Roto-Grinders fell short on that front. But you know, they have their reasons. Obviously, it's a lot different when uh, your management at Rotor Grinders, and you do have a very complex business relationship with FanDuel and DraftKings versus somebody like myself, who's uh, a broadcaster and technically an independent contractor. And uh, you know, my opinions are going to be a little less uh, likely to influence my my bottom line. So, uh, you know, without condemning or you know absolving, I'll just say that you know we had philosophical differences, and uh, there was no falling out. There was no angry tirade of you know people screaming at one another over the phone. And uh, all the rumors that circulated actually were started by folks outside of Rotor Grinders because, you know, all my colleagues at Rotor Grinders, I had for the most part spoken with, they knew exactly what was going on and uh, they, you know, they understood exactly why I was, I was walking away. And uh, it's, it's kind of crazy to me that people would speculate on something like that, especially when, uh, you know, that's the sort of thing that could be damaging to a person's reputation. Even if you're upset at me or somebody else for uh, maybe taking an action you didn't like, like, working on an article with somebody from the New York times. Um, you, you, know, you, just, you did, you did that. We'll get to that. You know, you brought up a couple of inter- interesting things there. So I'm going to interject. Yeah, go um, ahead. I, I think that it's human nature to speculate. And I think that there are all types of people in the world. And sure. I think one of the hardest things to do in life and I think it's acerbated by the Twitter and just kind of how information it's so easy to just for someone just to say something and have it be broadcast to the world. Um, I, I think it's interesting. Some of the points you made, I want to go back to the one about the complex relationship. So to me, that is kind of the, the toughest nut here. And I don't know if you're comfortable, but would you be comfortable going a little deeper into the nature of complex relationships within the industry? It doesn't have to be Roto-Grinders specific, but for someone who might not know, what makes these relationships so complex? 
Well, yeah, I think it's um, I think it's common knowledge to anyone within the industry. So uh, I don't think I'm going to be uh, I don't think I'm going to be throwing anyone under the bus or saying anything that's too outrageous. If I, I kind of clarify it for the folks who might not know, and I'm more than happy to do that. So the way it works essentially is if you have a content site uh, like Rotor Grinders or any of the other sites that are out there, you make the majority of your money off of getting people signed up for daily fantasy sites. It's called a cost per acquisition, a CPA. So you sign up through my link and you deposit money on a site. That site then is going to pay me either an upfront amount of money called a CPA, or they're going to pay me on the back end, which is called revenue sharing, where basically a percentage of your rake is now going to come to me. So that's the primary way that content sites and daily fantasy sports and poker and a lot of different industries the way they, they keep the lights on with FanDuel and DraftKings being as huge as they are. And with Rotor Grinders, they were the first game on the block and FanDuel and DraftKings were the first games on the block. Well, technically FanDuel was DraftKings just, you know, did a lot of work to, to get up to that level. They Rotor Grinders signed up a huge amount of people for DraftKings and FanDuel, of course. And because of that, they have revenue sharing, which is means a massive amount of money each month comes in proportionate to the rake that people who signed up through their affiliate links uh, are generating for them. So essentially it's, it's not, it's, it would be unfair and inaccurate to say that DraftKings and FanDuel pay rotor grinders to exist essentially, but in indirect terms, that's essentially what it is. And that's the same with all content sites. So when you're as big as rotor grinders and you have as many people signed up and you have as complex a relationship because you're, you're basically getting the bulk of your money from things like that, or at least a large portion of it, it's difficult sometimes to navigate those waters, and I can understand why they would take the stances that they take. It, and again, it doesn't absolve, and it doesn't condemn. I just understand why certain things happened. Well, and, and, and I thank you for clarifying that, and I don't think anything you said was uh, abrasive or, again, not commonly unknown, but yes. as part of an interview and getting to some of the issues we're going to get to, I think it was important to clarify that. Um, you know, I, I, I listen to Dan a lot, and I met him at the Roto uh, Conference in New York. Um, great guy. I mean, to me, a guy wears his heart on his sleeve, does his best every day. And you can see how complex kind of works there. But mm -hmm. I, I, I think some people can be hypercritical. And, you know, da like Dan apologized a little bit the, the other day because I think what was the site that just went under Fantasy Hub? And, Fantasy Hub. you know, that's part of the, uh, you know, but my takeaway, to be honest, Gabe, is it's not Roto Grinder's job to police the industry. As, as a broadcaster, I do think that you need to bring a certain amount of integrity to what you do. And I've never felt personally in listening to any of the Roto Grinders product that they don't, you know, fall in the middle in an acceptable level. So I'll leave that like that. I wanted to kind of jump off of what you were talking about. And I think the rest of it needs to kind of head to this whole conversation about the article. I, I really I want to get into, I'm sorry, go oh, ahead. Just, if I could add one more thing to that before we kind Absolutely. of close. Absolutely. Go ahead. Uh, Absolutely. If you're someone out there who is thinking about starting a content site, whether in this industry or in another one down the road, I think it's vitally important for you to make a decision at the beginning and stand by that decision. Am I going to be a site that is for the community and be sold out for that idea? Or am I going to be a site that is for 
um, essentially the, the, the affiliates or the, the profits that I'm making and sell out to that idea. I, I think it, I think we live in a day and age where people value authenticity too much to not notice when somebody is straddling the fence. And I guess if I could sum up my thoughts on, you know, the philosophical differences, it would be, I believe that rotor grinders, while they do a great job of straddling the fence and being fair, I believe that entire concept of straddling the fence is flawed. I believe you have to choose one or the other, sell out for the community or, make it your job to boost these partners and work with them in such a way that, you know, you admit openly, you know, that this is a relationship with them and you're going to do what you can as though you're an extension of that company to continue building that brand. And I think that's the important part that gets missed. Well, and I I thank you for clarifying that. I thought that was really um, powerful, but also um, my takeaway is, uh, you know, I'm 53, so I've been through, you know, I, I was your age and I went through my <laughs> my period where I was, you know, I would have had the very same view you had. And as I've gotten older, I found that straddling the fence isn't a bad thing um, because life is a balance and they are in a business. So, again, yeah. from my perspective, I don't have a problem with that, but I think you really, in an excellent way, just explained exactly what your philosophical differences was with roto grinders and why you had to part. And it sounds like it for, was for the most part, pretty amicably. Yeah. I still talk to, to those guys occasionally. And uh, listen, in the future, if things were to happen and there was ever an opportunity for us to, uh, you know, work together in any capacity, it's not something that I would turn down just, you know, Oh, I'm not going to work. No, I think, I think both sides feel that, uh, you know, there's definitely room for something in the future if there was ever something that made sense. Well, and that, and that's good to hear. I don't know that many guys from Roto Grinders. I know a few. I obviously met a bunch of them at the conference, and it's hard to really get to know someone in a couple of days at one of their events. Sure. Um, but, you know, I, again, I, you know, I think the important thing and what I'm always going for is to get the information out there. Again, as an older person, one of the things I've learned is I can't control your takeaway from what is said. But what I think what I'm really happy about is that we clarified both of our views on it. So that makes me want to kind of segue into um, what ended up turning you into the DFS trader, which I got to admit, I thought was kind of (laughs) funny the way you owned it um, for a while, changing your handle. so I'm going to take you through that. I've got a list of questions here. Feel yeah. free as you have so far to put in, you know, anything that you think is important. Um, I, I wanted to start with how did you get involved with the article in the first place? Yeah, that's a, a great starting point. And uh, just to, to clear up to the, uh, the DFS trader thing, I, I really hope people noticed that it was T-R-A-D-E-R. And that was sort of a, a nod to when uh, like LeBron James left Cleveland and went to Miami. There was just an innumerable amount of tweets where people spelled the word trader wrong, and uh, it was a it was a source of great uh, comedy for myself and, and many of my colleagues. So I always wanted an opportunity. Uh, I, to I personally did. I didn't notice. So, um, um, <laughs> but, but you know, look, uh, all you know, uh, I, my wife and I have this saying: all those that are perfect do la hula dance, but no one ever gets to do it. So. Um, yeah. I know that's a stupid saying, but it's my wife and I. So, all right, Gaby. So how did you get involved with the article? Yeah. So uh, 
as most people who were part of the industry would attest to, from about the time that the Channing Fry incident happened, then you know when things really accelerated back in September uh, due to a lot of the controversy with the Ethan Haskell situation, which, by the way, I try to always go on record when given the opportunity to say what Ethan Haskell did is not what it was portrayed to be in the media. So just push that insider trading Ethan Haskell DraftKings employee. Like I don't, I can't speak for Ethan's overall character. All I know is that he did not deserve to be crucified for that specific thing, and there was not due diligence done by the. You, you, you mean he didn't destroy the industry? Correct, and 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 just right. that 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 was unfair. That was but anyway, my so, takeaway as well, by the way. But during that entire episode or that that prolonged episode throughout last year, many different media outlets reached out to me and all my colleagues at Roto-Grinders. As I'm sure they did at many other outlets around the industry. And for the most part, I I mean, for 100% of the part, I turned all of them down. Most people did. Uh, but then Jay Caspian Kang, a former writer for Grantland, the now defunct Grantland, rest in peace. He reached out to me and it appealed to me because he's somebody that I actually respect and I understand, uh, you know, the, 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 the level of research and the depth of the uh, of knowledge that goes into his writing. So I agreed to, to work with him a little bit. And, you know, after we talked for a few times, I realized that, Hey, like I'm going to have the opportunity to, even if I don't get to write the whole article, because obviously I'm not going to get to, I'm going to have the opportunity to put a large number of my own quotes into this article and they're not going to be edited and they're going to be attributed to me. So I can at least say some things that I think are important. And if nothing else, get my opinion on the record so that people outside of the daily fantasy community will be able to see it. And that's, that's what, really interested me about working on this article with Jay. All right. So how did he approach you and what angle was he, what angle did he pitch to you uh, in the beginning? So actually when he came to me at the beginning, uh, it was going to be more of uh, just like a look into the industry. He wanted to, to talk to me and a few other people. He actually went out to San Diego for the FanDuel uh, world championship uh, football tournament and was interviewing folks because the initial like the main thrust of the piece at the beginning was going to be just sort of uh, like an expose on the the lives of the people who are part of the industry and who are uh, you know prominent within the industry and you know as we talked and he sort of heard some of my uh, my grievances that I had with the industry some of the things that I felt FanDuel and DraftKings had not owned up to and been transparent about he said, you know, hey, I think there might be a story here if we can work on this together and we can develop it properly and um, so he actually didn't even come to me with uh, wanting to expose the industry. That was never his intention, but it morphed into that as we talked. And, um, you know, he obviously got the quotes on record from FanDuel's management and uh, from their PR rep and from Nigel himself, which to this day remains the single biggest source of uh, confusion for me. I understand why everybody lashed out at me, even though nobody said that anything I said well, was we're gonna, incorrect. We're, we'll, we'll, get, we'll get there. Oh, okay, I'm sorry. Uh, sorry. Let, yeah, yeah, let, sorry. Let, <laughs> let's not jump to that. I don't want to jump ahead here. I'm, uh, Fair enough. You know, Fair I'm, enough. I'm, I'm, I'm pretty thorough, as I guess you're starting to probably see. And, and I, I want the story to play out as it should. Because what I felt was missing in watching people attack you and you, you know, kind of to me having this attitude of you're not being fair why should I even engage you in a reasonable way and that's why I wanted to interview you because I wanted to engage you in a completely unbiased way and just you know the story is what the story is let's get it out there and then yeah. people can make their own opinion up on that so from what you just said to me it sounds like you kind of and, and correct me if I'm wrong but it sounds like based on, 
you know, your conversations with him, you kind of steered him into what the article ended up morphing into. Is that a fair comment? Uh, I don't want to say steered to act as though, you know, I was in control, but I will say that I, I certainly voiced my opinions and suggested to him that that might be something interesting to report on. Well, and, and I think the thing, you know, again, you know, uh, you don't know me from Adam, but, you know, my, my, I pride myself on being fair. And my takeaway from the whole thing about you, and it's something I find that people do. And, and, and we're going to get into some of what they said and all that stuff. But a lot of times people make scapegoats because they don't want to deal with the information that's being put out there. So we're going to get to that as well. Um, I, I think that uh, so it was more of a, you know, one of my questions was, you know, did this whole thing when it came out take you by surprise? But it seems like you were there as the boat was being steered. Maybe that's a better way of putting it. You were there as the boat was steer- being steered as it ended up being um, he- where it headed to. So the yeah. next question I have written down, and you know, this one's more just for the record. Again, being fair, were you paid for the interview? No, no money at all. Okay. Um, what kind of reaction were you expecting? And how, if anything, was the actual reaction compared to your expectations? Well, the reaction was exactly what I expected. In fact, uh, you know, Jay and I joked a little bit about, uh, you know, here it comes, you know, uh, we're publishing the article today and, uh, you know, get ready for it because I knew that there would be reactions on both sides. And one thing I do want to uh, kind of make people aware of is that, you know, the way Twitter works, if you're not a super savvy Twitter follower, because that's where most of the interaction took place, is you'll only see tweets from me if you follow me and they're from me, or if you follow somebody else and me at the same time, and we're engaging one another. So that basically means everyone who was prominent within the industry, a lot of my colleagues, a lot of the the very people who were the ones that uh, opposed me or, or didn't like what I did. And so those sort of became front and center in people's faces. And I think that really sort of drove the narrative for others to kind of continue to pile on, which is what I thought would happen. But if you actually go to my timeline or uh, if you were actually able to look at my direct messages, which of course no one can, you would see that there was a phenomenal amount of support. I mean, it exponentially outweighed the criticism of people who were thankful that something was finally said and that maybe if, if nothing else, this could be one instance in, in, in what would hopefully become many instances where this industry would be forced to kind of correct itself and get you know, basically find its soul once again. But most people never saw those tweets because they were people who were very quiet and thankful. They came by, they said, thank you. They had maybe 15, 20 followers on Twitter. And then they went their way. The people who were angry and antagonistic, they continued to talk and they were prominently featured because most people would follow both of us on Twitter. So it was what I expected. The only thing that did surprised me um, that nobody really challenged or questioned any of the information I put out there, which I, I thought it was all true. The information that I put out there. Um, but what they said is that it wasn't the time or the place or the context. And some even went so far as to say it wasn't my job to say it. And you know, to those people, my response has continued to be, well, when were you planning on saying something? 
And, uh, you know, who was it, if not you, that should have been speaking up? Like, when was the proper time? What was the proper context? Who was the proper person? Like, something needed to be said about these things. Well, what I find interesting is that you've been pretty consistent, whether it's with Roto Grinders or the article. Um, you know, you've been pretty consistent, it sounds like. Um, what do you feel, if anything, was the most reasonable criticism that you received? And also talk to me about what you thought was the most unfair criticism you received from doing the article. So the most unfair criticism, uh, let me one second to sort of to postulate on that. Uh, well, absolutely. Take your time. I could play music again if you want. <laughs> I, uh, I think the most unfair criticism that I received from that article is that uh, I was somehow um, gaining fame and notoriety for what I was doing. And, and that, that's almost like a, a fundamental misunderstanding of what uh, like fame and notoriety actually is because I had that at Roto Grinders. I mean, by no means am I the most talented daily fantasy player, but I had my own show at what is essentially the ESPN of daily fantasy sports hosted Monday through Friday you know, the most popular award-winning daily fantasy sports podcast I hosted twice a week. Uh, if we're talking simply about reach and being visible and, uh, you know, having people know who I am, and that's my, my, my main reasoning for everything I'm doing, it makes no sense that I would go out and do something that I knew would be deliberately controversial and that would cause a large amount of people within the industry, specifically the ones who I work with every day, to turn on me. And that yeah, could be and I, the most I, unfair, just puzzling. I think, and, and, and again, all I can give to, give to the world is my take. And, and my take is that you're savvy enough to know, you know, I, I think those who hold that, you know, somehow are missing. And, and it happens often in life where people want to get to their conclusion. So it doesn't matter if the facts match that. To yeah. me, you, you do strike me as savvy enough to have known that going in. Um, so let's get to the other part because that, you know, that's the tougher part. Was there any criticism that was fair? And if so, what was it? I think the fairest criticism that came out of all that is people who said that, uh, I'm not contributing to a solution by simply calling out FanDuel and DraftKings. And I think that without the proper context of what had gone on for the previous nine months or so, I think that's perfectly fair because, you know, going to the media and, and essentially, I guess what you could call, say, tattling on your industry, that, that does seem like an overreaction. But to those folks, I would say in, in a vacuum, that criticism is fair. But there was just so much that went on behind the scenes that, A, um, nobody could have known about because it was done in private between myself, colleagues, and, uh, and, and you know, people I know at Rotor Grinders, and then also people from the Daily Fantasy websites. Uh, but then also – I, I wouldn't tell even if I could or even if I wanted to because I'm not going to betray the confidence or the privacy that I, I have from, from folks who uh, I still consider to be friends. But there's just so much that goes into it that, that people will never know. And just understand that uh, there was a not just myself. There still are a lot of people within the industry, within the machine, so to speak, who are trying to influence things from within. And that sincerely was what I tried to do for the better part of a year. And it just became apparent that that was not going to be an option, that uh, there was going to be no correction from the inside. Well, and I think part B of what you're talking about, um, and, and I'm not saying it is a fair criticism, but in the, in the mind of those who did complain, it seemed like 
um, the biggest complaint they had is the industry was already in flux, already in turmoil. You know, there's a lot of people who make their living, yourself included, off of the industry. Sure. And, and drawn a paycheck you know, since and, I left. And, and why would you? And why would you? You know, kick it in, in their view, not my view. In their view, why would you kick it when it was in so much trouble? Since you've had some time to think about those complaints, uh, what, what would you? How would you answer them now? Yeah, I'm really glad you asked that question, by the way. I was actually lamenting in my mind the fact that I didn't talk about that angle a moment ago. Uh, so that is a very fair question. It is. But here's my reasoning. And I actually talked about it a little bit right afterwards. The only media that I did after that article came out was I, I went on air with Tommy G and Jeff Manns because I love those guys. And they're just they're, – they're, they're raw, they're brutal, and they, they don't hold back. So I respect the hell out of what they do. Uh, but a lot of people obviously don't have serious extensions. So they didn't hear it. But it's the fact that, in my opinion, and a lot of other people's opinions as well, you can't have legislation passed for this industry and, and secure the legality of daily fantasy sports without also addressing the other side of that, which is the competitive issues. And that speaks to the larger point of why I uh, worked with Jay as he wrote this article, because – Nobody was really talking about the competitive issues as being comparable to the legal issues. And I understand the legal issues are threatening the very existence of daily fantasy sports. They take a special precedence. But the problem is if you focus only on that and then you, you build your legislation and you don't put any emphasis on making it more of a competitively balanced product that keeps players around for the long term, you've essentially built a lame duck because no amount of legality will ever save a product that simply is it's fundamentally, um, you know, unbalanced from a competitive standpoint. So I felt yeah, that and, to and, not address and, those things. Yeah. And, and I think something that is, you know, really important to point out again, as if, you know, to me is that most of the stuff that was in that article is stuff that people who have been critical of the industry already know. It's yeah. like saying to you or me, hey, you guys could take a salad once in a while, right? You know, we know <laughs> that, right? That's obvious. But yeah. answer is that, you know, and what was severely lacking in all the criticism in my mind was where was the article fa factually untrue? And, you know, I, as someone newer to the industry, who knows? I mean, you know, I know a lot about sports. I've always been able to pick guys who are going to be talented. You know, when I see them, when they're rookies, um, I could tell you who won every baseball world series back to 1903 <laughs> off the top of my head. Um, it was a little frustrating to lose when I first started, but I'm not the type to just throw stones. And I do also see the point that other people, broadcasters have made which is look you know it, it's a game of skill and so I like the fact and I do think that the, the, the issue here isn't roto grinders the issue here isn't the guys like Max Delury the issue sure. here is FanDuel and DraftKings the way they run their business they're the ones I think who had an opportunity to run it a certain way but didn't and yes. I think if they had run it differently, we wouldn't be in the place that we are, not because Crazy Gaby did an article in the New York Times. And I do want that out there. Thoughts on that? 
I think that is a very astute observation, and I essentially agree with everything that you just said. All right. So in the article, one of the one of the things. Well, I'll just ask you a generic question. Do you know? I was. We all know what's fair about the article, but is there anything about the article? Because as much as you knew this gentleman, you did you have the opportunity to read it before it went live? So that is one thing that I learned that a lot of people might not know, and I didn't know, is that uh, no, you you actually cannot read the article before it goes live. What I will say to counter that, though, is Jay did an exhaustive amount of fact-checking with me, and the New York Times also has a phenomenal fact-checking team that also followed up with me. And so outside of one thing that I knew to be an error, which was um, the – the profession of Drew Dinkmeyer. It was just, it was written about, it was glossed over, but it also wasn't as heavily fact-checked because it wasn't actually vital to the story. So, but that's the only thing to my knowledge as in that article that I would not be willing to put at, at its most fundamental core as truthful. Maybe the way it was said, maybe the way somebody worded it, maybe the way the editors changed the way something was arranged. Perhaps I didn't like that, that, you know, exterior part of it, but internally I would, am willing to put my, my reputation behind the facts of that article. Awesome. All right. So that, you know, you mentioned Drew's name, which leads to the next question I have written down. And I really feel a lot of the vitriol that came from the community and that was pushed on you was because actual names were used of friends, of colleagues, sure. of people who – you know, were called out just because they play by the rules that the sites have set. And to me, that was the one thing about the article that I didn't like. Drew didn't need his name dragged through the mud. Neither did any of the other guys. I personally felt that he could have gotten his point across without bringing those names to the, into the article. Do you think that is a lot of the reason why you had so much criticism? And what is your thoughts about what I just said as it relates to that being part of the article? Well, first of all, just going to throw it out there that there is some bias here um, in my answer because I'm going to back my guy. I'm going to back Jay. Like I said, I stand by the facts and how somebody else chooses to stylistically approach something as long as the underlying facts are true. Um, I, I'm not going to throw anybody under the bus. So I, I back Jay 100% on uh, what he chose to wrote or wrote <laughs> what he chose to write. And uh, to, to the guys that listen, this may be a little tough love and I can understand where they're coming from, but to the guys who were upset about their names being in there, uh, if you actually read the way things were laid out, there is no untrue accusation as some people thought. And my, my simple statement would be grow up. Like read the article, understand that when you are in the public eye, you are now going to fair or unfair, have your name connected with certain things. It happens and just grow up. It, it, it's going to happen. And how you respond says everything. When you respond and you're illogical and you're misquoting what the article actually said and you're taking uh, great liberties and uh, connecting dots that aren't actually connected in the article – to you know, sort of launch a crusade against a writer or a source or even an entire publication. I mean, that 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 just proves to me that you know, you look on the outside to people who are looking in, like, oh, like, well, I wouldn't think this guy was that bad, but now maybe I should look at the article again and reevaluate because this guy seems like an asshole. 
That's my only thought. Okay, and 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 that's fair in that it's your opinion. Sure, um, of course. You know, I, you know, one thing I, 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 it, you know, again, being an older guy, um, I, I've I've matured enough to know that I can disagree with someone without being disagreeable. And I and I do think that this is a borderline issue anyway. I don't think it's a black and white. I think it's how you perceive it. And again, to me, when I read the article originally, and, and I met Drew at the DFS conference. He was very nice, um, very gracious. But that wouldn't change my opinion. So, you know, it's okay me, that we um, look at it. Go ahead. I was going to say, if I could say one last thing. Um, sure, go ahead. Though Drew and I have had some very public spats back and forth. And, uh, you know, let me tell you one thing. Drew is one of the most phenomenal influences this industry could have possibly come across. And this industry is just immeasurably better for him having been a part of it, helping to build the community, helping to give validity to the idea of daily fantasy sports being something it's not just for children or, you know, people living in their parents' basement. Uh, I, I wouldn't trade anything to, to, you know, if it meant we wouldn't have a, a Drew Dinkmeyer or people like that in the industry. So, in the same vein that you can disagree while not being disagreeable, I can respect and uh, hold somebody in the highest amount of admiration, even if our interactions haven't always been, or maybe aren't even currently, um, you know, what you would call on a, a friendly level or anything like that. And so uh, with, with Drew and others, all I'm trying to say with my previous statement is when I know someone to be highly intelligent, I'm going to hold them to a higher standard of accountability when it comes to analyzing and interpreting information. If you can, Determine who's going to be the top play for a slate. You should be able to read an article unbiased with no emotion attached and determine what it's actually saying. That's that's my main point. Well, I, I'll just say that, you know, those are two absolutely different skills. <laughs> it would be kind of like saying, you know, that guy, that guy who's a, a you know, that, that uh, a guy who's a phenomenal three point shooter should be leading the league in block shots. They're just two completely different skills. Get in the but gym, I get what you're out. saying. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think that, um, you know, again, for me, as you know, I've, I was in a different hobby, in the simulation hobby, and, and, and I was accused of that hobby's version of bum hunting, which was, you know, trading with weaker owners. And I would, and they, and they'd say, well, you just shouldn't trade with weaker owners. And I'd be like, well, my competition's trading with the weaker owners. Why is it just because I'm really good at trading? Why should I not trade just in other words, my point is, and I don't want it to be lost is that the guys play by the rules. And again, it's the, to me, it was the site's job if bum, you know, like I, when I would look at the Roto Grinder, I don't blame Roto Grinders for having the tool. I don't blame um, players for using it. But I do think that if you're the site and it's your playing field, just like the NFL, if something goes bad on that playing field, if if instant replay isn't any good or the refs suck, right? That's yeah. the, that's on the NFL. That's not on the broadcaster of the game. But I, I think Absolutely. we've covered that pretty well. Unless can I, we've got I'm sorry, can I, I, oh, no. I have one more thing to add to that. You can, uh, you can kind of always. Couple, you can yeah, kind always of a couple of piecemeal thoughts. Um, so I definitely agree with you that, that it's on FanDuel and DraftKings. And uh, I've, I've always made the distinction very deliberately to never call or portray anyone as a cheater 
in, except for the few instances where it's actually been cheating. And, and in those instances, I've been completely unabashed in leveling criticism and, and accusations to people who are cheating, who I knew for a fact were cheating. But beyond that, anyone who's played by the rules and just simply taken the competitive advantage that's there, I have put pressure on them to say, hey, speak up because this isn't good for the long-term health of the industry. But they're not cheaters. You're right. It's always been on FanDuel and DraftKings. I will say one thing, though, and I, I, I'm not going to let Roto-Grinders off the hook on this. And I, you know, I, the same way with Drew Dinkmeyer, I respect and admire Roto-Grinders and what they've done and continue to do so. It's a phenomenal source. Everybody that are daily fantasy enthusiasts should be going to Roto-Grinders daily. But it was extremely disingenuous, in my opinion, back when FanDuel and DraftKings were dealing with the aftermath of the Channing Fry max Delury incident. And their policies clearly stated that the things that Clearly had happened. It had been suspected of happening for a long time. It just was finally proven because of the extent of the Channing Fry incident with, with Max Delory. Instead of actually addressing it in the context of their current terms of service, they waited a week or so, and then they just changed their terms of service and decided, hey, that stuff we said was cheating and that we were stopping before, we're just going to allow it to happen now, and we're not going to give you any reason. We're not going to give you any justification. We're not even going to answer questions about it. And then for rotor grinders to follow up, in less than a day with a post from the founder that says, hey, guys, good good, uh, good news. We're going to work on a script, and we're going to build a script for you. That, to me, I'd say more than anything else, was an inflection point in my, my souring of um, just certain uh, practices within the industry because this is a community site that should be for the community. You have a large amount of people on your site, on your forums, in your chat room, on your Twitter account, upset about these companies that are essentially – had been hoodwinking them and – essentially pulled the rug out from under them. And then you come in right after that. And just without making any comment about whether or not that was ethical or not, you say, Hey, we're going to, you know, that thing that was just illegal five minutes ago, we're going to make a version of it for you to use. So now you can do it as well. That to me was extremely disingenuous. And I, I think they deserve all the criticism in the world for that. I, and I don't disagree. And I, I think that the one thing I really liked about the article was that it did shine a spotlight on what needs to change. Um, because if you put your money in, you do have, you know, my feeling on scripts is either they're completely illegal or give them to everyone so that everyone yes. can use them. Um, Bravo to the, DraftKings, it, by the way, for what they've done recently. Yep. And, and, it, and it shouldn't come down to who has the best computer skills. Um, yep. So um, in a minute or two, you'll hear in your ear, 20 seconds left or whatever. Just ignore that. We can keep going as long <laughs> as we need to. I'm enjoying this thoroughly, and uh, I, I hope you are too. Absolutely, um, my man. All right. So uh, we've, we've covered most. Of, there's one question left I want to ask, maybe two, before we get to building a lineup, because that's kind of my thing, and, and I want to do it. Um, but what do you think of some of the changes that the sites have already made and what do you think are the most important ones that have not yet been addressed? I think DraftKings has done a great job of getting out ahead of uh, the, some of the competitive issues with basically blocking all offside scripting and allowing everybody to play on a level playing field. I, I, I don't know of any criticism even to level at them at this point because I think that they've responded the way an industry leader should respond. You know, when, when, Everybody feels that you need to do these things and these are all your customers, you should do them. And now everybody who comes to the site has the education and the knowledge 
that the that the most experienced player has the most you know the least experienced player now has that same knowledge and that same ability to take advantage of it. And so <clears throat> I think they've done a great job. I think FanDuel is behind the eight ball on that stuff, and I also think that that's pretty par for a course for them. They're always much slower to react and change than DraftKings has been. DraftKings has gotten to the point they're at by being willing to move quick while FanDuel sort of, you know, lumbers around. And I, I hope FanDuel will choose to do that in the future. Uh, but until they do, I've, I've actually moved my business. I used to, I, I love multi-entry. A lot of people don't realize that about me. I love multi-entry. I don't think multi-entry is bad. People were coming at me after the article came out, um, like criticizing me saying like, oh, you just don't want people to play multi-entry because you're not skilled at it or blah, blah, blah. No, I, I love multi-entry. It's my favorite thing to do. I love throwing 50 lineups in out of slate. It's the fact that I should be entering them by hand and other people should be as well. If that's the only option that the site allows, it shouldn't be someone else can use a computer program to do it. That's And I agree with that 100%. That's my, as a newer player to the industry, that's the one thing that really bothers me because again, I'm not skilled at those kind of computer things and you know, the whole Channing Fry thing, (laughs) but we won't go down that rabbit hole. Sure. Sure. Uh, the, the the other question I wanted to ask is the whole legislation thing is going to be crazy, but hopefully at the end of the day, it works out well. The Massachusetts DA really did a great job, I thought, of rather than doing what the New York AG did, came out with specifics of what kind of le- what legislation should look like. Um, we'll finish the interview up by asking Crazy Gaby. What in that legislation do you think is unnecessary and what did you think was the most necessary? Well, to be honest with you, uh, because I'm a person who understands that uh, you can't be everything at once or be everywhere at once, I have, uh, you know, I've almost deliberately chosen to leave that section of the industry uh, to folks I trust. And, uh, you know, I won't say report back to me, but share their information with me. So I'm not particularly knowledgeable about the specifics of everything in terms of legalities and whatnot. Uh, But I do know that uh, people I trust very much and who are very close to me, who work closely with me, uh, they they believe that the Massachusetts legislation and the things being proposed is the path to uh, daily fantasy's future. Whereas, you know, what's happened in New York is uh, is basically the worst potential outcome if, if other states were to adopt that, uh, that outlook. And I'll, I'll finish with this just for the, the people out there who you know, did say that I was trying to kill Daily Fantasy or uh, who people who said that, you know, oh, you're just moving on from the industry because, and, and you don't care about trashing it because you're not a part of it anymore. Uh, that's not true. I, I'm definitely going to be back in the industry sooner rather than later. I have a project that I'm working on right now and um, have been working on for, for some time. But then also, I actually was contacted by the New York Attorney General's office uh, directly. They wanted to speak with me. And uh, after talking with them a very small amount, I realized that essentially what they were going to try to do was to take what I was saying and use it against the daily fantasy industry. And that was not something I wanted to be a part of. So I actually uh, cut them off and declined to speak with them any further. And I think that that's only important in the sense that it, it kind of shows that my intentions were never to destroy this industry. And I, I recognize that there are threats out there that are unfounded and biased and absolutely need to be addressed as such. All right. Well, that's going to wrap it up. I think that sounds good, Gaby. I, I really do appreciate you coming on and being very open. Are you ready to make a lineup? 
Absolutely, my man. I got DraftKings pulled up right here in front of me. All right. So um, I'm going to jump over there myself, and we're going to be entering the NBA 225K crossover. This is an actual lineup that will play. Um, I'll probably be texting Gaby at uh, you know 6:45 if there's any changes. As always, I always tell anyone who listens: if you're not um, willing to change your lineups late in the NBA, then wait for another sport because you're going to get crushed. So yep. typically, Gaby, the way we do it is um, it, this is an interesting slate, isn't it? I, I, as I go through it, I, I found it very difficult to find value. But while we were on the podcast, I found out that Lowry is out, which to mm-hmm. me makes um, Joseph, Corey, yeah, Joseph, Corey Joseph, almost a must play. Would you agree with that? I think that Corey Joseph, you're in cash games at 4,200 on DraftKings, is uh, a near must play. I think Corey Joseph is also a great tournament fade for DraftKings because he's going to be so highly owned. And, and Corey Joseph, for those who aren't familiar with the player, uh, great player, excellent signing for Toronto. In fact, one of the more unheralded signings of the offseason. But boy, the guy cannot shoot. I mean, the, the guy just, he, he cannot shoot, extremely lim- limited offensive repertoire. So if the shots aren't falling, it doesn't matter if you get 36 minutes. If the shots aren't falling and, uh, you know, all you're doing is racking up assists and boards and a couple steals or something. I mean, I could see a very reasonable a very reasonable scenario play out where he gets, you know, 36 minutes, 25 fantasy points. And, uh, you know, by choosing someone else around that price range or slightly more or less expensive, you could definitely gain an advantage over your opponents. But cash games, yeah, you have to have them. All right. So that was very helpful. Well, the, the other thing, and again, I am very open that this is my first NBA year, and really it was my my first year, period. So learning as I go. Um, But one of the things that I've learned is when a guy like Lowry is out, it it isn't always the guy who replaces him who gets the usage. And if Corey Joseph can't shoot, that means that someone else on Toronto is, is really going to be getting a lot of the usage. Who do you think is the best tournament option on that Toronto team that we could use? Well, DeMar DeRozan is the obvious call, right? I mean, DeMar DeRozan is, is already a great tournament play on any given night because of his ability to, to score. I mean, he's, this is a top 10 pure scorer in the NBA. But everyone's going to be on DeRozan, and rightfully so. Um, I think this makes me really want to target Jonas Valanciunas for two reasons. First of all, He's the guy who is, you know, outside of DeRozan and Lowry, their primary offensive weapon outside of those two. He He's putting up, you know, decent numbers as long as he can stay out there for 25 plus minutes, which is always a question, both because of foul trouble sometimes, but then also his pick and roll defense, while it's gotten better this year, is a, a sorry sight to behold. And, uh, you know, that Reggie Jackson, Andre Drummond, high pick and roll out of horns is something that could certainly be, uh, you know, on display tonight and really kind of expose him. But, I think with Lowry out, the Raptors are going to have to turn to him, and he kind of gets an equal advantage on the other side of the floor, and that Andre Drummond, for all of his defensive statistics, is actually not a great rim protector and not a great defender. He's sort of listless. He wanders a little bit, and his positioning is is generally pretty bad. So someone who has amazing footwork in the post like Jonas Valanciunas, I think, can really take advantage of that bad positioning. And uh, Jonas is someone that I – I don't. I want to have 100% exposure to, but I could easily see my lineups tonight if I'm playing, say, 50 lineups on DraftKings, um, having like 75% exposure to him, and I, I'd love to put him in this lineup. And and I 
I've also noticed that Drummond, it's going to be interesting, you know, and in a GPP, you're always wondering who's going to get in foul trouble first. But both of them, to me, have that issue. I agree with you. Drummond, I love targeting him with centers. Um, So I've put Valanciunas in the lineup, and I think that he is a great person to put there. Um, Most of the things I've read today in my own research have led me to be very high on a number of the Orlando Magic tonight. Um, Any thoughts on who might be the best person on that team to target tonight, or are there a couple? Man, I uh, you love targeting guys against the Philadelphia 76ers. The problem is you never know exactly how the game is going to, to play out, and you combine that with the uncertainty of – when I say game's going to play out, I mean whether or not it's going to be a blowout or not. And when you combine that with the uncertainty of Scott Skiles, uh, I do think there is uh, a big recipe for potential heartbreak. Now, that doesn't mean you can stay away from guys for Orlando. I just think it means that you should definitely – um, maybe reel in a little bit of that enthusiasm and make sure you're not overly exposed to them on a slate like tonight because, A, they're going to be highly owned, and, B, they could easily tank. And so that's a great opportunity to sort of pivot and gain an advantage over your opponents. If I'm going to take one guy from Orlando, though, I mean, it's got to keeping in the theme with centers be Nikola Vucevic. I mean, he's a guy who is is perhaps their most consistent player overall this season. The only guy on the team that I would trust to go for 50-plus fantasy points in a good matchup. He's, you know, not – not uh, ironically at all, he's the most expensive player on the team, but with DraftKings' unique eligibility requirements, you can actually get two centers in there so we can play Jonas and Nikola in the same lineup. Yeah, I like it. Um, you know, there's four. The only thing is that there are four or five centers I really like tonight. I've been driving the, the white side train pretty hard the last week. I oh, like, yeah. you know, and the other thing is Philly is, I mean, for a team that has spent high picks on, you know, on a center, they're not good. So let's put Vucevic in there. Um, I also like Mahimni, but Mahimni has a much higher, he's cheap, but, you know, for a GPP, I I see him more as a cash game guy. Um, So looking at the shooting guard position, this is also, you know, DeRozan, while, you know, down to 7,300, Lowry out. He's one of those guys I almost don't mind paying for anyway, but I hear he's sick. So, you know, he could easily only play half the minutes you think he can or just not play as well. Um, Who are you looking at at the shooting guard position? Um, I, I, I like Fournier, but he's also questionable. Uh, Matthews as a value play was on my list and CJ McCollum. Yeah. So I, I like those guys that you just rattled off. Um, Wesley Matthews cheap at 4,600, of course, uh, not a p- particularly high upside play, but uh, I think with DeMar DeRozan, I don't get concerned too much about it just because he played on Friday when he was supposedly still sick as well. They sat him out yesterday. And uh, I mean, maintaining the lead for the two seed is is very real right now for Toronto, because that means they won't have to face Cleveland until the Eastern conference finals. And for a team that cannot get out of the first round of the playoffs, I think there's some extra emphasis on the Toronto Raptors going as deep as they can in the playoffs. And if they have to lose to Cleveland, I think they want to win two rounds first, as opposed to having to play that matchup potentially in the second round. So 
I, I do think that there's a lot of emphasis on them maintaining this lead that they have on second place, possibly even catching up to the Cavs and passing them, which isn't out of the question. And uh, DeRozan played on Friday. They kept him out, and it seems like he's going to play tonight, especially with Lowry out. I, I look for him to uh, to go hard in the paint, no, uh, no pun intended. Well, I am perfectly fine with DeRozan. We can always check back before lock and see if that changes. I am popping him in. I liked your reasoning. Um, now, we got a 7,300 and a 7,900 guy in the lineup. Um, I think it's time we turn to some value. Who Amen. are some of your key? Who are your, some of your key value guys on the slate? Well, it's uh, as you alluded to earlier, it's definitely a tough slate for value. Corey Joseph, thankfully, unlocked a little bit of that. And, and despite the fact that I'm not super high on him for tournaments, he's definitely somebody that we could end up with some shares of tonight. So I'm, not, I'm definitely not ruling out that possibility. Um, one guy that I'm going to look to, though, uh, for value this evening, and uh, this may seem a bit unintuitive, but uh, Patrick Patterson, not putting up a huge amount of – Fantasy points, but you look at his last couple of games. Thirty-seven. I did. Minutes, he's getting. 30, he's getting yeah. crazy minutes. He, he crazy he's trying minutes. to. Yeah. He's trying to break the code. You know, minutes is equals money. He's trying to prove that uh, that untrue. Unfortunately. Absolutely. I had him the other playing... night, and he let me down. Uh, uh, that doesn't mean anything to me, though, because the reasons I played him were good. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, daily fantasy basketball, you should constantly be assessing the landscape for situations like this where uh, you can see a player beginning to trend in a certain direction, but he hasn't had that breakout game yet. You know, if Patrick Patterson went out last game, played 37 minutes and put up 31 fantasy points, everybody would have him in their lineups tonight. But because we see the trend with minutes, but it hasn't correlated to fantasy points yet. Now we have Kyle Lowry on the bench. That's 15 to 20 shot attempts that are going to be available for the rest of the team. Uh, we've got, uh, finally, I think, uh, an organization in Toronto that has realized, um, like, even though Damari Carroll's out, even if we get him back, uh, we just, we need to not have Luis Scola in the rotation anymore. That just, that's the only criticism I have of the Toronto Raptors this year. Way too much Luis Scola. <laughs> and so Patrick Yeah, Patterson, I, I think, I think they must love better. his hairdo. Oh, man. He, you know, he also uh, is one of the, uh, the, the three or four smelliest players in the NBA, according to uh, his opponents. I, um, I, I hope to never find that out. So I'm <laughs> going to throw another opportunity, and, and I'm not against Patterson, believe me, but for, for the sake of the show, I'm going to sure. throw out the fact that one of the guys that I, again, let me down last time, but I still think my process was pretty good, um, Hollis Thompson, he, his, that last bust was really his first, but he's out sick. And yeah. for a couple hundred, for $100 less, I mean, he's god awful. But Nick Stauskas uh, is is twenty eight, twenty five, twenty four, twenty, and twenty five minutes, seventeen five, fourteen five, eleven, thirteen, and twenty fantasy points. And now they don't have Hollis Thompson to turn to. Gaby, is there someone else that they could put in, or is Stauskas going to have to get more minutes tonight? I mean. I would almost rather be targeting Jeremy Grant in the hope that his minutes bump up a little bit rather than the Nick Stauskas and, and Grant's a little more expensive at 4,300, but far a greater upside than, uh, <laughs> than somebody like Stauskas. Jeremy, I, Grant, yeah. Jeremy Grant helped me help win me some money. Um, so I guess it comes. Uh, okay. So that that's that. So we, we've identified a couple value guys that we could turn to. Um, 
We, let's see, is there any other value guys that I had on my list? I, I had Aaron Aflalo last game, and I was so mad because, you know, there's nothing worse than when you've got four guys in the early games that are all red, right? If you're using yeah. your iPad to watch the games, you know, you got four guys on fire and, and you're right outside the money and all your guys are going and then they shit the bed. I mean, it, it's just, <laughs> it's, there's, I, is there anything worse than that? No, there's, there's definitely not. And uh, I'll throw out Terrence Ross to you real quick. Uh, $100 more dollars. I, I like him too. Far better option, in my opinion, than Nick Stauskas, if you're looking for a cheap shooting guard. Okay. So we've identified him, but we don't need to put him in yet. Right. I mean, you don't put someone in your lineup that you don't love until you have to. So Mm -hmm. let's talk about some other guys that we really like tonight. Um, You know, the point guard position, I love the fade on Joseph. I think that in a GPP is great. Um, Ricky Rubio is a guy. Ish Smith is a guy. They're both very interesting to me. Ricky Rubio, now that Zach Levine is starting at shooting guard, the last yeah. four games, Ricky Rubio's gotten 36, 36, 32, and 35 minutes. I don't know that I'm worried about Dallas's defense. What do you think about him and the other point guard that's interesting to me, but a little scary? Alfred Payton's uh, salary is down to 4,800. What do you think of those two point guards, or is there someone I'm missing? Uh, Rubio and Peyton, not too interesting to me. I'm looking at Goran Dragic, uh, the much maligned Goran Dragic, who uh, you know seemingly has been playing below his paycheck the entire time he's been in Miami. There's been a, a very profound reversal of the fortunes as of late, where he's now taking tons of shots. If you look at his last five games, 14 shots is the uh, the lowest amount that he has. The assist totals are five or more in all those games. He's just he's very um, integrated into the offense right now. And I don't know if that signals a changing of the guard, if Dwayne Wade is getting worn down as the season wears on, which I think is entirely possible. But uh, Dragic at 6,400, uh, we're getting a player who used to routinely be at around 8,000, 8,500 uh, back in the day with the Suns and uh, with uh, the Rockets as well. I, I love taking advantage of him tonight, especially against the, uh, the, the defense of Jose Calderon. In my opinion, uh, Goran Dragic, my number one overall point guard play of the night when salary is considered, and, and Dame Lillard, just my number one overall point guard. Well, it's funny you mention that because, I, you know, I can't mention every guy I like, and I should have prefaced it better because I have about six point guards right around the same. <laughs> I always do, um, too. <laughs> and, 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 and Dragic is very interesting to me. I've played him a lot. And again, that whole thing of when someone's out of the lineup, other people go up and his minutes are great. Chris Bosch is just as out as he was the last couple games. Yep. And, and you're right. Jose Calderon's defense seems to be getting worse. I'm going to put Dragic in. I really like the play um, at shooting forward. You know, he's expensive, but I like Paul George. Uh, I think Luol Deng's uh, salary is getting up a little higher than I love. But the guy that I really like in that price point tonight is Tobias Harris. I, I think the Orlando Magic made just a god-awful trade. I, I, I don't know. And again, I'm, I'm just getting back into the NBA after 10 years of not watching it. But uh, that, that trade seemed to make no sense to me. What, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, I actually tweeted out that uh, when that trade happened, 28 other teams should be reprimanding their front offices 
the next day because if that's they all it took to the ball. Harris, yeah, if they that's should all it took, they should Phil Jackson should be kicked in the balls, and I like Phil Jackson. <laughs> yeah, like you, you, if you weren't making a call on Tobias Harris and you didn't find out that that was that was the price, then I mean, I, I guess you just. You you failed. I mean, that was just a mistake. It was flat out a mistake because that, that price tag was ridiculous. Stan Van got the perfect guy for his lineup and his system. Uh, but I will say this. I think that Luol Deng and Chandler Parsons actually are still both better options tonight than uh, Tobias Harris, even though I do love Harris. Uh, the main reason for that being that Harris is just always going to see a limited amount of opportunities with so many other guys who are shooting the ball on that team. And then Luol Deng playing a lot of the power forward minutes now. It's going to need to guard Mello for most of the game. Him and Justice Winslow will switch. And Chandler Parsons. The Minnesota Timberwolves have been one of the worst defenses in the NBA over the past couple of months. Uh, they're just completely breaking down. And I, I love a fast-paced matchup tonight. I think Parsons is going to do very well. Yeah, I, I, I've got written down uh, besides the two. Uh, definitely Parsons is, is in one of, in my value play area, as is Winslow. But I thought I saw some news on Winslow. Hold on a second. Is there something about something, a Gabe, I got a cough. Oh, no worries, my friend. No worries. Let's see if uh, let's see if uh, indeed justice is uh, going to be served. Sorry. <laughs> I was where, hoping you would go there. <laughs> where, where, where's, where's my drum roll? I'm moving around too much to get my drum roll in. Um, awesome. All right. So uh, let's see. No, that was Stanley Johnson. So something going on with Stanley Johnson had a shoulder injury. That was another reason I liked Harris. But I got Harris in other lineups, and I did like Parsons a lot. Um, Deng, I mean, again, you know, with me, my issue, this might be a recency bias. I, I, I have a weird brain. I had so much success with Deng. I know at some point it's got to end. I mean, <laughs> he was the guy I targeted on the, on the Bosch News originally. And then when Wade was out, I mean, it was such a no-brainer. Let me look at his last game. Uh, da, 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 31 fantasy points, yeah. I mean... Golden State, Mellow's defense isn't great. I'm okay with Deng or Parsons. Uh, do you want me to flip a coin? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm I'm cool with either one, whichever one you want to go with. All right, we'll go with. Uh, I think Parsons will be less owned, don't you? I do think Parsons will be less owned for sure. I think I think uh, Tobias Harris and Luol Deng are both going to be higher owned than him. All right. So in cases where, and this is where you can get yourself in trouble working about uh, ownership, but in cases where it's real close, um, I, I, I'm, I'm going to put Parsons in. So yeah, we go over to call. the power forward. Who do you like at the power forward tonight? I think Patrick Patterson is going to be the guy I'm rolling with in most of my lineups tonight for sure. I am uh, perfectly fine with that. He's certainly getting the minutes, and we talk about his offense. But while you were talking, I thought to myself, uh, again, with Lowry out, he's going to get more opportunities. It's just going to happen. So um, we're left with 6,300 for the guard and forward spot. Uh, Let's see. Lillard, if we put Lillard in, that would leave 3,000 left, and I don't want to go there. If we put McCollum in, it would leave 5,100. Uh, Reggie Jackson is Smith. 
Fournier I would have liked if he was hurt. George Hill's kind of interesting at 5,400. Levine's kind of interesting at 5,300. What do you think? Um, you, 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 you pick out Monta Ellis is 59. The way the mauler and I typically do this is we'll start, once you get to this point, we'll throw in a name and then we'll look at who we can get with the other place. Um, or I can look at forward at forward Tobas, Tobias Harris at 64, Deng at 64, Porzingis at 66. Uh, Miles Turner at 6,000, Marcus Morris, Busty 5, Covington 55. Um, anyone, Shabazz Muhammad at 4,000 is kind of interesting. His, uh, let's see, 25, 21, 20, and 33 minutes, 19, 17, 20, and 26 fantasy points for a $4,000 salary. Any thoughts on Shabazz? Yeah, Shabazz Napier, not somebody I'm really high on. There's a lot of offensive weapons on that team right now, and so he really has to heat up in his little – there's a very small amount of playing time where he's on the court where some of those other guys aren't on the court, especially Wiggins, and that's really where he's got to do his damage. So there's just such a small window for him that I would – I think I'd rather branch out, and uh, I mean, almost go rather go with a guy like Jeremy Grant, who I think in that fast pace just mess of a game has a chance to maybe you know do his thing with blocks and whatnot. I, I, I kind of like the Jeremy Grant play still should be very low owned. Well, if we go to Grant, that allows us to go to CJ McCollum and Indiana is not a bad matchup for shooting guards. Um, the, it just seems like half the time it's a Lillard game, half the time it's a McCollum game. Oh, Guess what? Aflalo is out. Galloway to start. You like Galloway? Nah, not as long as Carmelo's in there. I, I'm not a big fan of the tertiary guys like uh, like Langston Galloway. Just not enough consistent opportunity. Obviously, a, a decent tournament play if you're looking for someone low owned. But I think I'd still rather if I'm going to do that role with Terrence Ross tonight. All right. So um, we've got uh, if we stick Jeremy Grant and and McCollum in, that's one way of doing it. The only other way that we could possibly change things up is by taking Valanciunas out, um, hoping that we hit Toronto right with DeRozan and Patterson. You know, we could stick in a Carl Anthony Towns, a Drummond, a Whiteside. Any of that interests you? Or were you happy with Jeremy Grant McCollum? Yeah, I like that. I think McCollum will definitely be much lower owned than a guy like Damian Lewis, So, and especially DeMar DeRozan. So I like McCollum a lot. Should be very low owned. All right. Well, I think that um, about wraps it up. Uh, I'm going to stick this in. And if any other changes that you want me to consider come up, you know how to get me. Uh, let's see. Center, Valenkunis. We could actually put Okafor in. We got 400 bucks left. Um, <laughs> I, I think he's sneaky tonight. Um, but that, that about does it. I'm going to hit submit unless you've got any other uh, questions there, Gaby. No, I think this is a solid lineup, and I'm interested to see where it's going to take us tonight. I am as well. Um, It is now entered. So to finish things up, and this went a lot longer than we thought it would, but I'm I'm (laughs) glad that you hung in there with me. I do appreciate it. What's next for Crazy Gaby? Where should we – I know there was some announcement that – oh, my gosh. The contest entry failed. Right. Oh, the contest might be full with the the slate starting in about five minutes. Oh. 
That sucks so bad. Hold on. <laughs> no worries. There should be something else open. DraftKings usually does a really good job of having at least something for a last ditch. There's a t- yeah. There's a two thousand dollar crossover. Um, Eighty five people. Um, why don't I the one K sharpshooter two K? Yeah, that's cheaper. Uh, I feel bad. We oh, ended up going good, my friend. <laughs> All right, so we'll put it into the, the that crossover. Let's see if the lineup pops back up. It's always nice when it auto populates for sure. It didn't. All right, so we'll do this quick. I don't think it it's, did. It's one of those no. sneaky nights where the, there's the one game at six o'clock that kind of throws you off. Yeah, it did. I uh, it snuck up on me. So Grant McCollum. Usovich, Valenkunis, DeRozan, Dragic, Patterson, and that forward, uh, huh, that's weird. Did I get anyone wrong? I think um, we got everything I, right. I showed, D, we could go Dieng, Gordon, Porzingis, Nowitzki, Deng. Harris or Parsons? What's your what's your favorite? Parsons still? Part yeah, Parsons is definitely my favorite out of that grouping. All right, I entered it. Let's see if it goes through. Yay, we got a lineup, and um, I'm gonna throw in a three dollar lineup as well, Gaby, with the same lineup, uh, same deal. I'll split it with you if it comes through because it's definitely not going to be as much as it would have been. So um, I was asking you, what's next for you? What was that announcement the other day? I'm sorry that I missed it. Um, were you talking – was that announcement that I was talking about, was that uh, a while back or was that the other day? Well, you, why don't you just tell me what's next for you and what you would like people out there to know about Crazy Gaby going forward? Gotcha. Yeah. And the only reason I said that is because I deliberately to try to throw some people off who said that I was using the New York Times article as a way to boost myself yeah, for my next project. I wanted we, them we to didn't, get uh, We didn't get to that question, and it was one of my <laughs> least favorites, so I don't mind. <laughs> yeah, I, I kind of wanted to throw something out there that would throw them for a loop. So for a couple of days, everybody was up in arms saying, see, we told you it was going to happen. And I think the announcement I made was, uh, I, I forget what it even was, but it was it was something unbelievably stupid, and people were, were kind of pissed off. But um yeah, I have, a, I have a project I've been working on. Uh, I can't talk about it really quite yet. It's going to be launching within the next couple of weeks. And uh, I do think that a lot of people who are looking for some some fun, single-entry, competitive options that uh, really kind of grab the feel of season-long fantasy sports and make it a little more about camaraderie and um, just having a good time as opposed to trying to be cutthroat are going to love this idea. So I guess the best advice would be just take a look at my Twitter timeline and uh, you know keep up with what's going on. And I've got some some stuff that I'm excited to share with all of you guys very soon. Awesome. And if you want to come back on at any point to uh, promote, I um, I am always willing to help someone promote as well, uh, especially after you put uh, put up with the interview and did my <laughs> whole lineup thing. So I'll leave that up to you. But uh, the door is definitely open. Um, you know, one of the things that the, the podcast, you know, I, I'm hoping that I'm going to get some people. I always kind of leave the podcast with the song, most of them from the 70s or 80s because I'm old. <laughs> um, but, you know, when I first started doing the podcast, I, I, I did a few skits. And anyone who might be listening to this, 
I did a couple NFL skits, and I did one that maybe you'll enjoy, Gaby. Um, being from the Ohio area, Johnny Manziel has just been a train wreck. And before the last car on the train um, kind of went off the tracks, I had done this skit. Um, it's called 2015, A Rehab Odyssey. And we'll leave the show. And again, Gaby, I'll leave the show with this. And I thank you so much for doing the podcast. Can't wait to hear it, my man. Thank you for having me on. All right. 2015, a rehab odyssey. Come on, gang. Work those thighs. Who's got a pelvis? Now do some arm circle things. Add a little jazz to it. Now, now, do, now do this. Now let me see you boogie. What's my name? Johnny, what are you doing? I'm doing aerobics. I'm Johnny Aerobics. No, you are Johnny Rehab. What are you doing? I remember now. I'm Johnny Football. No, you are not Johnny Football anymore. You are Johnny Rehab. I remember now. You all's right. I am Johnny Rehab. I gotta remember that. It's okay. You are not yourself when you're hungry. Here, have a Snickers. Thank you, Hal. Mmm, that is tasty. Mmm. Hey, what am I doing? Eating a Snickers bar. I'm f***ing Snickers bar. I want some blow or some weed. Hal, you gotta help me out. I need just a little something to take the edge off. Hal, please. Please, Hal, anything. Just a little taste. Oh, Johnny, this is so sad. You are a complete screw-up and cannot be trusted. First, you end up in rehab, and then you work hard only to fall back into the same habits, and now you are third string. Do you want to be out of the league completely, all because you want another taste? Yes, yes. Anything, just a, just some dancing girls. Where's my dollar bill? I need to roll it up. Oh, heavens, heavens me. Guards, guards, please take Mr. Johnny back to his cell. I mean his room. And take away his key. And all rights are now revoked. No, no, anything, just a little bit, just a little, please. No! I'm Johnny Football! Snickers, it satisfies. Unless you are a drug addict. And then you will just end up in rehab. Under my care. Now, about time I go check on Josh Gordon. Boy, those Browns sure do keep me busy. Meep. 